We're beginning something new today for the next several weeks. We are studying the gospel. We're going to be talking about how the gospel has changed our life and how the gospel can change your life if you've never encountered it in the way that we're going to talk about it and how the gospel can change the life of people that haven't even met us yet and uh, are out there waiting for us to share the gospel with them. The title of this morning's message is The Gospel on Your Loneliness. We're talking about the gospel in the sense of good news. And so if you're here today and you're lonely, we want to take the gospel, which is good news, and apply it to what you're experiencing. To help us do that today, I've asked uh, one of our own, Rusty McLean, to come and share with us a little bit. So I'm going to ask him some questions, and I want you to give him your attention as he shares from the heart what God has done in his life. Rusty, how did you first come to know Jesus Christ? Um, I think my story is a lot like a lot of here. I grew up in Wynn Baptist Church. Um, my parents, my family, we went here Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Wednesdays. Um, went to Baptist Youth Camp. And I actually went forward at Baptist Youth Camp, came back here and couldn't wait just like this morning to get baptized. Um, I was excited. I was scared. I was nervous. But uh, it was right here at Wynn Baptist Church. Well, we praise the Lord for that. And uh, how many of y'all can identify with this? I mean, that you came to know Christ as a child? Anybody? Okay. Maybe not as long ago as I did. Maybe not as long ago. <laughs> and what happened next? What happened after that point? Well, for several years, junior high school and high school, I, I stayed, I attended, I, I preached. I mean, I didn't preach. I prayed and was, was very loyal. Um, graduated high school and I was done. I was grown. I knew everything. I didn't, I didn't need anybody else's help. I didn't need to come to church. I didn't need to pray. Went to college, and a whole new life started for me. Uh, I met some people that got me into a fraternity, and I learned how to party with the best of them. I learned how to do things I shouldn't have done. I did a lot of things I now am ashamed of, but it made me who I am today. Um, got out of college and thought, now I'm really grown. Now i got to go out and search the world for what I want to do where my place is. And I had that, that emptiness, that feeling in me all the time I was searching for what I was supposed to do, where I was supposed to go. But it was always with people who were not in church. It was always people who liked to go out and drink or liked to go out and party and have a good time. So I searched for stuff that made me feel good. I searched for things that I wanted to do and didn't need anybody to tell me what to do. Um, worked several jobs, moved several places, lived in different states. Um, but I always had that emptiness. I didn't have real friends like I thought I would have um, people that wanted something from me or I wanted something from them. And it was a, a lot of lonely, lonely years. Even through my marriage, my first marriage, which was ended in a horrible divorce. Uh, I was very alone. Um, I pushed a lot of my friends and my family away, still searching for something that I didn't know what it was. It was, it was rough. At your lowest point, what was the Holy Spirit doing in your life, even though that, that you were kind of running the other way? And as, I, as I look back, I know he was always with me. You know, I always felt the, uh, the touch on the shoulder. He knew, I knew that he, something was not right when I did something wrong. I knew that there was goodness in the world, even though I, I was a good guy. I, I wasn't a bad person, but I just wasn't following the Lord. And I believe that, and I, and I know the Holy Spirit was with me. But... Uh, 
I just wasn't looking. I didn't desire anything but what I wanted. And then, and then obviously things changed. How did Jesus reclaim Rusty McLean? It was through several people. Um, for one, my wife, who I wouldn't be here without her today. Um, we started coming back to church, and still just coming to church, I, I still was missing something. Um, she said, we need to start going to Sunday school. I said, no. So we started going to Sunday school. <laughs> uh, she said, well, we need to come start going Sunday nights. I said, no. So we started coming on Sunday nights. <laughs> and she said, I want to join the choir. And I said, you can, but I can't. She said, no, you're not going to. <laughs> Seriously, sorry. Anyway, um, we were still, we were, we were coming to church, and I was sitting here, and I was going through the songs, and I was standing up and, you know, doing my thing, but there was still something not right, and Rick Wimberly, and there were several people that started uh, the Thursday morning men's, and we were doing a study of uh, men's fraternity, what it meant to be a real man, a Christian man, and that broke me. I realized that I was serving myself. I wasn't doing what God wanted me to do. And it just, it knocked me to my knees. I, I went home after the second or third week and just cried like a baby. I bawled for the Lord to forgive me that all this time I had been searching for something somewhere and the whole time it was right there with me. That God was what I needed. He was who I was looking for. And the Holy Spirit has just changed my life for the good, without a doubt. And, and I still now, I'll, I'll serve until I'm not here anymore. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. As we begin this morning, let's pray together and give thanks for what he's done, what he's going to do. Father, we are so grateful to you that because of your great love for us, you pursue us, that you desire a relationship with us even when we don't desire one with you. We thank you for this story of your power, of your mercy in Rusty's life. Lord, many of us can identify with that. We recognize the very presence and power of God in him and, and in ourselves and the work that you have done. Father, we know that there are dear ones here who are where Rusty was at one point in his life, running from you, and uh, they're away from you, and they're listening to my voice right now. And Father, we pray that as a consequence of our being together today, that their questions would be answered, that the, um, the race would end at the foot of the cross. Father, thank you for your presence here. We want to hear your voice. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak loudly and clearly to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rusty. Appreciate you. Everyone who meets Jesus will tell you that when they heard the gospel, everything changed. Everything changes. Why is that? There's a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul helps us understand why that happens. And this is what he writes. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now that encourages me on so many levels. For one thing, I, I want to see people come to know God. But it doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on the message that you and I carry. And if I can get that message to someone, 
if I can explain it, if I can share it with them, and it may be over several conversations, it may be over several weeks and months and sometimes even years, but if I can get that message to them, God says the message is power. The message itself is power to change a human heart for eternity. And so if you're looking today for how can I change, how can my life be different, I want you to know that this message of the cross that we're going to talk about today and for the next several weeks, this cross of Jesus Christ has the power to change your life. Today we're going to look at how the gospel impacts loneliness. We're going to look at different aspects, and we're looking at this because this is what shows up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is what Jesus was doing. He not only proclaimed the good news, he demonstrated the good news to people who desperately needed it. And so today we're going to look at a widow in a place called Nain, just up the road from Capernaum. This occurred 2,000 years ago, but it was a very real lady, a very real circumstance in her life, and you may identify with her today or know someone who does. We're looking this morning in Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 11 to 15. And so if you have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew rack, or you can use your iPhone or iPad or whatever you use, uh, your handwritten copy of the Bible. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. When he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And the large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. The Gospel on Loneliness. For the last several weeks, we have been studying what it means to experience God. The seven realities of experiencing God. Remember the first one was, was understanding that God is at work all around you and me. The second reality is that God is pursuing you so that you might have a love relationship with him that's real. And we see that in evidence here. It seems everywhere Jesus went, he would always encounter people who were either needing relief from God or who were seeking directions to God. This lady was both. And he encounters her as he's coming into this town. And being a widow, she'd already had a major loss in her life. But now she had lost her son. And the implications of that were dark in her life. And we're going to see more about that in just a moment. But as he's bringing this love relationship to people, as he offers that as he is working in you and around you to bring people into this love relationship with himself. We recognize when God is at work, when we see things happening in people's lives that only God can do. And in this particular case, in this woman's life, she was at a point of crisis. She was incredibly lonely, although that she was probably surrounded by all the townspeople. 
She was entering a very dark period of her life from her point of view. And it's at moments like that when people are lonely that they are often most open to conversations about God and how the gospel can change loneliness. And as you look around you, if you encounter someone like that, you know someone like that, and you begin to have a conversation with them, that is not an accident. It's not an accident that of all the people that you could have discovered who was lonely, that it was you and it was at that moment, this moment, that you're talking to that person. God is at work. And you can be confident of that. Some people, researchers are telling us that loneliness is the most common ailment in the modern world. That it's affecting people and, and we diagnose and we have different names for the symptoms that are caused by it. But the root for many people is simple loneliness. And so before someone comes to Christ, before they can hear good news, we often have to be aware of bad news. And it's at this most vulnerable moment in our life, when we're lonely, that we're often most ready to hear the gospel. Technology and education has not eliminated loneliness. We have something called social media now. And uh, we can't hardly do anything without taking a picture and putting it up there. And um, your pastor's one of those people. And, um, and social media gives the illusion of being connected to lots of people. And, um, and because we collect friends like postage stamps on social media, then we think we have lots of friends. When in fact, the exchange is typically one way. Rarely do we enter into a substantive conversation in that environment, and, and we substitute face-to-face -face and intimate encounters with something far less than that. And so social media hasn't cured it. And with all the technology that's available to us, we are still in our most advanced state ever in the history of humanity. We are a lonely and isolated people. We are missing deep intimacy. We are missing even basic conversation sometimes, and we have exchanged it for superficial interactions. Loneliness is caused by many things. Most often it's caused by loss. For some of us, we are experiencing an empty nest. We get to a certain stage of life and we have losses along the way. And you may be experiencing that and someone who was dear to you, someone close to you is no longer there. You can lose a job. And we know for many of us who have put our lives into our work that when you lose a job, you're losing not just a paycheck, you're often losing a circle of relationships where you have been investing yourself day in and day out, week by week, month by month. Divorce is a loss. And many of you have experienced that kind of loss, that ripping apart of your heart when something very precious to you is torn, torn away. The death of a loved one. Many of you have experienced that. Death of a spouse. Sometimes it's a death of a relationship. When a marriage comes apart, you know, the whole creation of woman, according to Genesis chapter 2, was because God said it was not good that man be alone. And so, of all the things, you know, we call the wife, we call her a helpmeet. What is she helping? She's helping loneliness. God intends that we be social people, that we have companionship with other people, that we live in community with other people, and marriage is the foundation of that activity. And so, and so there are people here sitting here today, I promise you, who are married but feel lonely. And the very thing that God intended to address loneliness in your life 
is not working. And you're hurting because of that. Students often experience loneliness. You can walk the halls of the school, of a junior high, even elementary school, definitely in a high school. And students experience loneliness, surrounded by other students. Maybe having a circle of friends, but experiencing great loneliness because no one really understands the difficulty, the challenges that they're experiencing at home or in their personal life. Loneliness can be caused by tough times, by responsibility, by just carrying a load of responsibility as a parent, as a mom, as a dad. If you're a single mom, you're carrying all kinds of responsibility. A boss at work often carries a lot of responsibility for the people that they oversee, the people that they lead. And they are often lonely when you carry that kind of responsibility. You may have moved into it for the first time. And, and with that kind of responsibility, few people understand. Or at least it seems the people closest to you don't understand the sense of isolation and the loneliness that you feel because of all the responsibility that you feel that you're carrying. Loneliness is definitely caused by, by sin. We live in a culture that glorifies self. We have replaced the importance of connection often with what many people call self-actualization by definition. It is the fulfillment of one's talents and potentialities, especially considered as a drive or a need to fulfill myself. And so achievement becomes important. My worth financially becomes important. Consumerism, protecting, uh, projecting a certain image can become important. And I can sacrifice a lot so that people might think that I'm successful and that I have been somehow made complete by these things. And the net effect is we elevate our worth over connecting with other people, being real. It's caused by sin. Uh, when we sin, it creates separation, definitely between us and God. The essence of sin is that separation that's caused by our sin. It creates separation between ourselves and others. We see this all the way back in the Garden of Eden. We've talked about this many times where, where Adam and Eve sinned they disobeyed God. And when they did, definitely there was a separation between them and between, between them and God. When God comes for his regular visit in the Garden of Eden, I don't know what that was like, but they heard the sound of God walking the garden. What did Adam and Eve do after they sinned? Did they go running up to God and say, hello, God? What did they do? They hid. They hid when they heard the sound of God. They, they felt the separation, they felt the alienation, and they hid from him. But that's not all. What did Adam do when he was asked, who told you you were naked? He blamed immediately who? The woman. And backhandedly, he blamed God. I, 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 I laugh at this moment because it's so typical of us as human beings, but it's really sad. Because when God says, who told you you were naked and you felt like you had to hide? He said it was the woman... Now, what does that do to your relationship? It was the woman thou gavest me. Is he accepted responsibility for his sin or his action? Absolutely not. And so sin creates separation. It creates guilt. It creates us wanting to blame other people for something that we have caused and created and brought into our own life. And, of course, the answer of that is the cross of Jesus Christ. When Christ went to the cross, he bore our sins in his body on the tree, Peter writes. And in bearing our sins, 
He carries them, the guilt they, they created, the judgment that we deserved, he carries all that sin away. And he offers us a new life by sending his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. This morning, at the end of this service, I'm going to give you the opportunity, if you've never done so, to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your sins can be carried away. His Holy Spirit will come to live inside you. And so loneliness has many sources, many causes, even for a Christian. Listen to me. You're my brother, you're my sister. You can still be incredibly lonely, even in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you where the, the source of most of that loneliness comes from. We become lonely, you and I, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put our eyes on other things. In Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses, the writer describes the Christian life as a race. And, and he tells us to endure that race. And then he tells us how to run this race with endurance. He says, how? That's the question that's implied in the text. He says, do it just like Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So Jesus, in order to deal with all of the difficulty, all the trouble, all of the hardship that he had, including loneliness, he had to fix his eyes on something. The Bible tells us that the week before, in just about three weeks, four weeks, we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday. And typically that's the Sunday before Easter is when we celebrate it. And you remember in the Bible, Palm Sunday was that day when Jesus enters Jerusalem and hundreds, maybe thousands of people were shouting at, Hosanna in the highest. And it seemed like Jesus had a lot of friends, but they were kind of like Facebook friends. And, and when he needed friends the most, it was most difficult to find those friends. You know, the night before he was betrayed, the Bible says he went into a room just with his disciples and he observed the Lord's Supper. That's what we're going to do this morning after the invitation. We're going to do the very same thing. And after they observed the Lord's Supper, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember what Jesus did? He asked for those men to go with him and pray. He asked for three of them to go even deeper into the, the garden with him to pray. And, and did they stay awake with him, these friends, these dear ones? Did they stay awake? No. Could you not stay awake with me for even one hour? He said he needed those friends. He experienced loneliness. And the Bible says that when ultimately when he went to the cross and he was made sin for us, the Bible says he took all of our sins on himself, that in that moment he experienced the full weight of all humanity and the sin that separates humanity from God. He experienced all of that and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You think Jesus doesn't understand loneliness? That he doesn't understand the effect of sin and how it separates us from the Father, separates us from one another? And so he experienced that and he goes to the cross and then he's raised from the dead and he now is the heart of the gospel that we preach and that we share. He can transform your loneliness. It makes a difference for us as believers what we're looking at. Uh, in that same passage in Hebrews 12, he says, For consider him, he's saying, Look at him, consider him, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you grow weary and discouraged in your soul. You know what that means, Christian? That means if you take your eyes off of Jesus, you will grow weary and discouraged in your soul. 
You will. Can a Christian get depressed? Absolutely. Can a Christian be discouraged? Absolutely. What is the solution? We've got to get eyes on Jesus. He is the heart of the gospel. He's the only one who can affect and impact our loneliness. And so we need to get our eyes on him. Let's do that. Let's talk for the next few moments about the good news about loneliness and isolation. In this passage, this dear lady has lost her husband and lost her son. In that day and time, a woman just couldn't go get a job, not a job that a woman would want. And so her whole entire welfare system, her entire means of support had been lost when her husband died and when her son died. Most funerals in that day and time were conducted in the evening, about 6 o'clock. She would have spent most of that day preparing the body for the funeral of her son. She would have laid him out, uh, laid him into what would have looked to us like a wicker pallet. Uh, They call it a coffin in this text, but it was more like a, a, a wicker pallet. And they would lay him out on that. She would have dressed him in the best clothes that he had. She would have combed his hair. And then she would have become part of a funeral procession to the graveyard that was out on the, the east side of town on a road that went down to Capernaum. And she would have been part of the, the group leading the way. The women would lead the, 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 the front of the procession. All of the town, which in that case was about 500 people, most of the town would have come out at the end of the workday to be a part of the funeral observance. There would have been professional wailers who would have cried and mourned for the passing of her son. It was at this moment that Jesus Christ is coming up the road from Capernaum. He's accompanied, scholars tell us, probably by about a thousand people. So the crowd that's with Jesus is more than twice the size of the, the, the size of the funeral procession. But as Jesus comes up to this procession, he engages this widow who is facing the darkest moment of her life and is, is facing the prospect of a lifetime of loneliness. And I want you to see the good news on loneliness. I want you to see what Jesus does. Number one, he sees you. He sees you. In verse 13, it says, when the Lord saw her. There were a lot of things he could have been looking at. I don't know about you, but sometimes driving down the road when a funeral procession comes, what are we supposed to do? We pull over to the side of the road, don't we? It's a sign of respect. Uh, Fewer and fewer people do it, but we're supposed to pull over and stop our vehicle, and we let that funeral procession go by. And, um, and so this crowd with Jesus would have done something very similar. They would have parted. They would have lined both sides of the road as they were going on their way. And they could have, as most of us do, just wait patiently till that goes by and then we would have gone on our way. I don't have a particular interest in that funeral. I would not have had to get engaged. Jesus probably encountered these more than once. But in this case, the Bible says he saw her. He saw her. He noticed her. And I want you to know that there's not a moment in your life where God doesn't see you. And God doesn't know what you're experiencing. There's there's never a moment like that. If you want something to read this afternoon when you go home, I encourage you to take your Bible, open it up kind of to the middle, and read Psalm 139. And in that psalm, you'll read how David realized that there was no place he could go where God was not. How, how there was no place he could flee from his spirit. No, there was no height, no depth, no experience that could separate him from the presence and the watchful eye of God. 
Have you noticed that you can't be in two places at the same time? I try all the time, but I can't. And, uh, and yet God can. He can be in all places at all times equally. And in this particular case, it says he sees this woman and he sees you. Secondly, he cares deeply for you. He cares deeply for you. Again, in verse 13, it says, when the Lord saw her, what's the very next thing? It says he had compassion on her. Now, what does compassion look like? I mean, for them to record this in the gospel text, somebody had to notice that Jesus had compassion. I'm not sure that Jesus afterwards said, by the way, guys, I felt compassion at that moment. They saw it. They could see it. What does compassion look like? You know, if I were to sit with you across from you, just a cup of coffee and we were talking, and I said, tell me what compassion looks like, what would you, what would you say? I'd say, it's their eyes. It's their face. You don't necessarily see compassion in their arm or compassion in their foot. Where do you see compassion? You see it in their face. And Jesus saw her and had compassion on her. She had no idea how much Jesus cared for her. And you know, you may be feeling that way right now. That you don't know that God cares for you and how very much he cares for you. But the Bible says when he saw her, he had compassion on her. He has compassion for you. I also want you to see that Jesus feels things before he acts. A lot of times we do things out of duty. I have to. Well, if I'm going to keep her happy, i got to go do this. I mean, whatever. We may have different thoughts or ideas like that. But Jesus feels something, and then he does it. And this is true throughout the Scripture when God speaks and describes his activity in our lives. He loves us, and then he acts. John 3.16 tells us this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What came first? The love of God. God loves you, and then he acts. He shows mercy. He feels compassion, and then he acts. His heart went out to her. His heart goes out to you. Number three, he speaks hope to you. The good news about loneliness is not only does he see you and care deeply for you, but he speaks hope to you. Again, in verse 13, it says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And, and he's injecting hope into the situation. Now, if I went up to somebody who had a loved one that had passed away and said, Don't cry, you would have looked at me and said, Pastor, that was kind of insensitive. Uh, that doesn't inject hope in people's lives. They need to be able to grieve. And, and yet Jesus says those very words to her. Why? Because he's about to change everything. He's injecting hope into her with the things that he is saying. Now, how does God do that with you and me today? Let me tell you how he does it. He does it through his word. I can't tell you how many times when my own heart has been broken or discouraged or lonely that God's word has been that place where I have met with God and that God speaks to me and, and tells me things. And I'm reading along and maybe just reading casually and suddenly I read something and I realize it's not just ink on a page, but God is speaking to me. And those words inject hope into my life. God's word is filled with supernatural words of hope. Isaiah 
41 verse 10, fear not for I am with you, he says. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Imagine reading that when you're desperate and you needed to know that God knew where you were. God knew who you were. God knew what you were dealing with. It's a supernatural word. When, we don't, when do you have the most trouble with loneliness and with losing hope? When do you have the most trouble? In daytime when you're at work or school? How about at night? How about at night when you're going to bed? Listen to what David writes in Psalm 4, verse 8. He says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, if you go back and read about David's life, there were a lot of times he must not have felt safe at night. But because of the Word of God, and because of the presence of God in his life, he felt safe, he felt secure. God's Word is a source of God speaking to you a supernatural word of hope. And then fourthly, the good news about loneliness is that he restores your life in powerful and unexpected ways. He restores your life in powerful and unexpected ways. Look at verse 14. Then he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. You know, Jesus did this, I think, three times. And every time he spoke to the dead body. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up, and he began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Now listen to me. Jesus is not going to overturn every circumstance in your life. You and I know that. There were a lot of widows in Israel who did not get their, their husbands back or their son's back the way this lady did, all right? He's not going to overturn every circumstance. But listen, he will change your life in such a way that your life will have more meaning than ever before, greater purpose than ever before. And, and here's what he does. Here's what I see in the text. Jesus comes up to this situation, and he reaches out and touches the coffin. You know what that represented? It represented everything that was arrayed against this lady in her life. Everything that was the source of her hardship, everything that was the source of her difficulty, he comes up to it, he touches it, and it's transformed. And he somehow, in a way that nobody expected, brings new life to this lady. And it's all different. And her loneliness is crushed. And her grandchildren are back in her future. Whole different world. Now, the circumstance is not what you need to see. What I want you to see is that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. So let me ask you a question. Several questions. Have you turned your life over to Jesus Christ? Now, this lady wasn't looking for Jesus when this happened. I don't know that she was praying the Bible doesn't tell us that she was praying for deliverance from loneliness. And when you came here today, you may not have been expecting to meet Jesus Christ. But I want you to know, he is here. He sees you. He cares for you. He wants to speak truth to you. I hope you've heard him speaking to you through his word. And he wants to powerfully change your life this morning. If you'll come to him and repent 
And the idea of repentance is turning away from my life, trying to do it myself, trying to fix my life for myself, and all I do is I sin, I mess up, I get things worse, and, and you may feel like your life is a mess, and you say, you know, Pastor, I can't come to Christ. My life is such a mess. Listen, that's your qualification. That's your ticket. Come to Christ. Trust him just as I am. He's ready to receive you. Turn your life over to him. Let him carry away your sins as he does on the cross. Let him come into your heart and rule your heart. And he can rescue you from loneliness and anything else you ever encounter. Let me ask you another question. Are you connected to his church? Are you connected to his church? Some people think, you know, I don't need other Christians to be a Christian. I can just kind of do my own thing. And some of you do that. You kind of drop in once in a while and wave, and then you go on about your business. Listen, you need the church. The body of Christ was his idea. It was his invention. He created it. And I cannot become all that he wants me to be without other Christians. It is in connection with other Christians that God changes me, grows me, challenges me. For good, bad, and ugly, he does it. And, and you need the church. You know, some of you here need to be in a Bible study group. And next week you need to come at 9 o'clock. You need to plug into a Bible study group. You need that connection with other people. God, the, in God's word it says he places the lonely in families. This is the family of God. And he wants to place you into a very real family that loves you and cares for you. Some of you ought to be leading a group. Uh, some of you have the ability. You have the experience. God has prepared you. And you should be leading a group. Are you connected to his church the way that he wants to connect you to his church? And then the last question I want to ask you is this. Are you cultivating a relationship with God? If you're here today, you're lonely. Your solution is, is, is the next prayer away from your heart. I mean, that's your solution. And I want to encourage you to get into God's word. I want to encourage you to ask dear ones to pray for you. And you don't have to explain your whole story unless you want to and, and you have someone that you trust. But, but, but get into his word, connect with his people, cultivate a relationship with God. Listen, wherever you go this week, God's there. Whatever you're experiencing this week, he is there. At your lowest moment this week, he will be there. He's waiting for you to turn to him. Say, Father, I'm crying out to you. I want to know the good news. I want to experience the good news of Jesus in my life. Let me ask you to bow your head and to close your eyes. We're going to respond to him. We're going to open this up. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. And as soon as we stand to sing, there'll be pastors here at the front, and they're here to pray with you. They're here to counsel with you. They're here to encourage you. You may just need to grab the hand of a friend and pray right where you're sitting. Say, I need somebody to pray with me. Would you pray with me? Come to the altar, pray here. As God has spoken to your heart, how do you need to respond to him?